Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seems to notice. No one seems to care. Yeah. Here we go, everyone. Recorded live. A-U-N American Underground Network The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their lives they kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks, everyone. Uh, We are so lucky to have this opportunity every week. Uh, It is a true blessing to keep this heartbeat of connections alive, as we've done for almost going on nine years in the next month. But it gives us an opportunity to share uh, the goodwill, uh, the designs, the cycles, the frequency, the, the, the great uh, inventions that people have that, that, that are going on all over the world. And uh, my good friend Al Jordan, who I've been with, uh, we stumbled into each other over 18, 19, 19 years ago, he parachutes into my life uh, periodically with either texts or calls, and he just kind of hit me the, the right way this week, and I came back really quickly, and I said, well, my God, Al, can you bring these guys on our call? Is there any way? And I didn't really put a date on it, but he he was right on it. He jumped for the opportunity, and within a day, uh, we had a commitment from Reverend Thomas Hargis and Mark and Nielski to talk about this template that's being laid down in Cincinnati and across the world 
that is very cognizant and addresses the issue of usury interest that is at the forefront of a lot of the poverty and the issues that are enslaving mankind all across the world. We've been on this for many years. This is a template, a project uh, with real documented uh, research, and it goes back to what we all want to do to be happy, to be helpful, to help and serve our fellow man, and and to reach out and connect in positive ways that are uplifting and that are uh, ennobling uh, to give our life meaning. So, Al, I said I would pass the baton to you to make the formal introductions, and um, uh, Reverend Hargrave, is going to be coming on a little bit, little bit uh, later in the hour, but we might as well start out with the big picture of the economic view okay. from Mark. But go ahead, Al. I'll let you well, uh, do the introduction. I met, I met, I met Mark about four or five weeks ago. I feel like I've known him for two decades. Uh, we talked that much, Fred, and everybody else. And um, the first thing that I saw that he is that he wrote the economics of, of happiness. It's an award-winning book. It's, it was published in 2009. He got an Axiom Award and a Nautilus Award. And it talks about being able to be happy with the resources that you have to make the best use of it. In, in turn, uh, Mark has introduced me to, to uh, Reverend Tom Hargis only very recently, the past couple of days. We've been talking about revitalization of city of, parts of the city of the Cincinnati. In the, in the, mean, in the meantime, um, what, what Mark has done um, is he's written about natural capital. It's a brand new way, not so well, be brand new to all of us, but not not the, the market that he's been doing it for 25 years, where he takes into account all the natural resources that we have in a community and he's able to value them. And all of the big financial houses these days are beginning to look into it. People like Goldman Sachs, the bad guy, a lot of the banks, et cetera. But at the same time, um, the people who actually manage and take care of the natural resources, live in the communities, should be made aware of, of what they actually have and that's what Mark has been doing, uh, working with this tirelessly for more than 25 years in that particular area. Um, we are working another project, which is outside of what we're talking about now, but this is the, the general framework of all of this. And so really the thing for, to be happening here now is that Mark do the talking and allow uh, uh, Reverend uh, Thomas Hargis to come in later on. I think Mark can do a lot better job than what I'm doing. So with that, Mark, I'm going <laughs> to shut up and why don't we get started and see where, where this all goes. Well, just for the record, I'm actually on the call now, guys, so good to hear you. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. We've, we've both finished that. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> should I say something more about Tom? The right way should say something about Tom. Tom is a, is yeah, a yeah, urban, yeah, yeah. Yeah, urban warrior, in essence. He, uh, he started the Jubilee Project, which he'll explain more carefully, but he's been in two cities doing this, one down in, uh, near Duke, where he started this, his project called the Jubilee Project, and now he's in the midst of one in Cincinnati. Um, he's a reverend. I believe that your method, is that correct, correct reverend? Your Absolutely. Method? United Methodist, yes. yeah. And he's a, a graduate of the Duke Divinity School, something akin to Harvard and, and Yale, et cetera. Anyway, with that, I'm going to step back and let you guys do your thing. Okay. Uh, why don't we start with the big picture? Mark, uh, it sounds like you've known Reverend Hargis, uh, and, and you're the one kind of uh, painting the big pitch, broad picture from an economic standpoint. Tell us how you went on this venture many years ago and got and, and, and came around to writing this book, and, and, and then bring it. Then we'll bring it down to 
Reverend Hargis's project at the street level to bring this picture to practical terms. So, uh, uh, it's Mark Anelsky. In 2007, I published The Economics of Happiness and seemed to catch a wave. Uh, certainly was before the 2008 uh, crash, market crash. Uh, people thought I was clairvoyant calling the crash. And I said, no, it was simply that I know that the money system as we know it is all debt-based and it's inherently vulnerable to collapse. It's a big confidence game. So I've studied the nature of money for many years. Uh, as Alfred said, my specialization is in valuing nature or natural capital. And uh, my book was written primarily encouraged by my students at the Bainbridge Graduate Institute in, in the Seattle area. I said, you gotta, you got to write this down, Mark. You're, you freaked us out. You've taught us about what the money system is, actually. And I often describe it as really the, you know, the Wizard of Oz or the movie The Matrix. And uh, so in studying the money system, I've learned that all money, 98% of our money is created by private banks on the issue alone. And the total amount of debt in the United States and in Canada, anywhere else, is actually unrepayable. So it has to keep growing like some cancer cell. And so GDP has to keep growing. We have to keep, of course, servicing that debt by working harder. And right now, I've estimated about 35 cents of every dollar we make has to actually be um, expended in, in terms of the, uh, the interest costs embedded on the $60 trillion of outstanding debt in the United States. So that's a shocking number. That means we're going to work a third of our lives really for nothing other than paying for private bank debt. Um, and so I've been pursuing this, this issue, trying to create what I call the, the new economy of well-being, uh, a new economic paradigm free from the slavery of debt. We're, in a way, we're no different than the Israelites who followed Moses out of Egypt. But the problem is we don't even know we're slaves. And uh, so how do we uh, quietly, or maybe not quietly, leave this matrix, as Neo learned in, in the movie? And uh, that led me to um, journey to Cincinnati, where I met my mentor, Peter Block, John McKnight. And I went to a conference there in November called the Neighborhood Economics. And I meet the young and amazing Thomas Hargis, who is actually uh, helping to not, not just help the poor get out of poverty, but in fact, help us to leave the slavery of Egypt by how? By, uh, by providing interest-free loans to households who are in distressed neighborhoods, and a lot of the rust belt is in those conditions, but in fact, build a new operating system that um, in fact is going to, I think, be the model for the, if you like, the new Jerusalem, if you like, uh, and so you'll you'll know right away that I'm, you know, I'm of Christian faith. I'm Catholic upbringing. I know a lot about the history of the Vatican Bank, all that stuff at the macro level, strategic. So we're playing chess here, but we're going to play it uh, very wisely. Very, we're not going to upset the matrix. We're going to do this in a loving, love thy neighbor way. Um, and we could go on and on about uh, the history of the United States and debt and money and all that stuff. But uh, that's, I think, a good introduction. Mark, uh, the book that you wrote about the economic happiness uh, outlined the connection. I mean, I, I have uh, 18 years of experience in the markets downtown, futures, options, stocks. I was a member of the Merck. I was on the back end of clearing systems, the front end of trading systems. 
I can describe uh, from experience uh, and, and lay out a template uh, for, for what that means in, in terms of uh, the human capital, the, the ability for individuals to actually take ownership of a decision to buy or sell security. Uh-huh. But when I found out that the monetary system, the pipelines that are connecting all of these things, is 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 so full of fraud that it, it's fueled by fraud. It's fueled by debt, which is un, un, untenable and can never be repaid. Tell us, how do we get to the island to 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 begin this this new Jerusalem, as you say? Is it is it practical like what Reverend Hargis is doing down in Cincinnati? Is it just rolling up your sleeves? Uh, take us to ground zero for us, for, for all of us on this call to kind of uh, begin the process of, of, of exiting uh, the darkness. Well, we, I, I think Thomas's you know, use of the word jubilee is really important because uh, mm-hmm. we have to go all the way back to Assyria, uh, Samaria, Mesopotamia, and the ancient Israelites, and Moses receiving, uh, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, the instruction from God, do not charge interest on debts to your brothers and sisters and, and forgive debts every seven years and redistribute wealth every seven times, seven years, 49 years, i.e. the Jubilee. And so I have to go all the way back to that to say, how did we lose the trail on those clear instructions from God, our creator? And it's interesting, those number sevens, they matter. They, they seem to matter. So, so if we go back then to the founding of America, we ask, well, what did Benjamin Franklin, what was the revolution about? Well, it was actually about decoupling from the Bank of England and the European bankers to be, be what? To be sovereign in our own money system. And, and you know the markets, and, and I'm a, I have an accounting background. So what I know is that money is tied to nothing real. It's fiat in the Latin to be created of nothing, backed by no assets. So there's no balance sheet that governs the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada, which is bizarre. And so what do we have here but a system of, of magic? Uh, sure, it's fraudulent, but in fact, it is a system in which it is a uh, creating money out of thin air, backed by no assets. And so what we're trying to do with, with uh, what Thomas is doing with Jubilee is saying, well, our basic asset class is the home, is property. Right, mm-hmm. and, and so let's let's take us back to, well, how do we become each other's bankers? Like, can can we even go back to the days of Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, who were very clear about what America should do and should never allow to happen, which happened in 1913, uh, and you know, with ben, with uh, Lincoln's death and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Not a Canadian, so I'm like, I have to remind Americans that I seem to know more about American history. Uh, about the story and so that's what we're trying to do we're saying what did moses was moses just full of hot air did the israelites ever practice this law and and how do we apply it to the modern day and to you know to cincinnati today how can we do that interesting uh mark are you are you referring to because uh, I, I i i think tom may have to interject here but uh when you have the home itself classified as an asset, it's real. You can you can touch it, you can feel it, and you can work for dressing it up and, and improving it. All of that can be documented. Uh, what is the instrument that's being used in in the in the transfer of ownership for this property without without the charging of interest? Where is the 
where is the nexus of the transaction that creates the money that is funding the house? This is my question. This is to Thomas. Oh, yeah, uh, well, the main. Oh, go ahead, Mark. You, you've got the finance part, but I'm happy to jump in whenever. Well, let, let me just just let me just say before Thomas responds. Yeah. Make no mistake, we're still using the bank loan created money to do okay. what we're doing. We have not left the matrix, right? We, okay. In fact, it's almost impossible. It's like saying, "Come follow me. I'm the new Moses. Thomas is the new Moses. Where are we going to go to? We we have to work within the existing system using debt money or debt money and bank created money uh, to even start what we're doing and okay, then sir. maybe transition out of that. Okay. So, so we still have at closing, we have a promissory note on the left. We have a mortgage that it covers the asset on the right, all of which only has one signature on the left and, and the mortgage doesn't talk to the promissory note, whatever, but we're still yeah. using those instruments right now. Yep. Holding our notes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I got but it. but oh, I, but I wouldn't but I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it a mortgage because I love what Mark does in his book in identifying that mortgage is a death pledge, right? A death and, pledge. And the, the idea <laughs> the the idea of having a a a structured payment for an item, right, is is not new. It's not something the Americans have done. Structured payments have been around forever. And so what yep. we're doing is we're 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 setting up a structured payment uh, system that essentially ignores interest whatsoever. If you buy a house from Jubilee for seventy-five thousand, you buy a house for seventy-five thousand. If it takes you one hundred and forty-four months to pay it off, awesome. If it pays you, if it takes you one hundred months to pay it off, awesome. What we do is uh, take some uh, best practices from other. Uh, financial models that 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 um, Muslims and the Islamic world have been using for 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 years, and they look not at uh, market rate, but they actually look at rental rate. And so what we do is look at an individual's rental rate and say, look, you're paying seven hundred dollars a month right now in rent. We know you can make that payment. You've been historically faithful. We're mm-hmm. going to sell you a house at five hundred dollars a month, and we're going to take that five hundred dollars, divide that into what the sale price of the house, and that's how many months it's going to take you to pay it off. And so we're just okay. structuring um, uh, an extended payment. So it's it, 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 uh, unfortunately still because of U.S. laws, and this, this has to do with context and, and locality. But, you know, if we were to um, have to take back possession of the house, hypothetically we would have to utilize the, the U.S. Uh, foreclosure system um, yeah. because that's really the only vehicle to use. So, I mean – you, yeah. you can't you can't totally ignore your surroundings, but at the same time, um, you know I, I love one of the my favorite scripture sayings where it says, you know, be wise as a serpent. Know the system. Know the system so yeah. well the way that you, that you understand uh, where the Achilles heel is. Where are the holes that you can you can play in? Um, because at okay. the end of the day, what we're trying to do is keep capital in locality, and and we can talk more about how we came up with this model. But that's the trick: is keeping it as close to the ground as possible. Okay, now that was that was the voice of Reverend Thomas Hargis, the founder of the Jubilee Project based in Cincinnati. Uh, he is a Methodist minister who got his divinity, uh, master's in divinity from Duke Divinity School. Uh, Thomas, uh, Re- Reverend Hargis, uh, so getting back to connecting over to Mark, the promissory note is still in, 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 in used here, correct? Uh, at the point of sale, only the, in, the charging of interest is not included 
in that note. Is that what you're saying? That is correct, and, and the goal is to wow. actually get the um, purchaser of the house out of debt. So if we can roll wow. their existing debt into our promissory note that can be paid yeah. over term, that is our goal. And, and part of that is because uh, we're not just peddling a, uh, um, you know, just a house here. And I, I think i got to probably swing this back all the way to the economic yeah. side. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I really appreciate the conversation of economics, which I normally don't yeah. get a ha- chance to have. It's normally, you know, the why do you do this scripturally or, you know, tell me about your job training side. But, um, you know, Mark, Mark's, Mark's connection with me is, is, is a lot about economics. And the church um, and economics um, have, been, have been very, very bad bestsellers over, over the past yeah. few years. And the reason why that is is because the original intent of a tithe was to do community revitalization. The, the tithe was, was supposed to be imparted out to those in the community that were suffering, right? And so mm-hmm. currently, um, if you attend any church budget meeting, you, you, you understand this place. So a tithe goes and gets collected on a Sunday, and on a Monday morning, two checks get cut. One goes to the mortgage company that owns the church property, and we all know that the bank makes their money on the first 14 years, right? And you end up paying twice as much for that property as, as what you originally paid. So, yeah. so the bank's mm-hmm. winning the first half, right? So the second mm-hmm. half goes to pay the pastor's salary, which is, you know, we can all argue that a pastor needs to be paid, but that's fine. So those are the two top things. And then the next things after that are what I call insider programming. That would be like music for the members of that congregation, um, youth ministry usually for the members of that congregation, children's ministry for the members. Of that. So you have insider program. And then maybe at the bottom of the budget, there's this little line on that says outreach, right? And so maybe they donate $200 a month or $300 a month. So let's say, for, for the ease of example, childhood obesity, right? You've got childhood obesity in your neighborhood. Church says, we want to do something about childhood obesity. What's our budget? We have $200 together every month we're going to, do to, we're going to donate this to childhood obesity. Well, the other thing a church creates is what's called an endowment, right? So Aunt Susie dies. Aunt Susie dies and gives, you know, $100,000 to the church. Well, the church then sends this money not to the locality, but they send it to New York. They send it to New York that gets wrapped up in a bunch of mutual funds, right? Mm-hmm. But inside mm-hmm. these mutual funds, um, they're not clean, right? And so the church ends up investing, um, sometimes blindly, sometimes they make compromises in big oil or all kinds of other things that you might find questionable, right? Mm-hmm. And so in this scenario, our church really hates childhood obesity, but guess what? This mutual fund that this endowment is invested in returns 4% a month. So 4% a month comes back to the church to help it fund its operations. But guess what? That mutual fund is investing in Coca-Cola, and it's in Frito-Lay. And guess what happens? (laughs) On the street corner and in every school, there's Frito-Lay and there's Coca-Cola. So the church is actually funding the very thing that it's trying to combat at the local level. And the money's not at the local level because the church is only making 4% on the endowment because they're scared to death to lose it. So they're not Mm going to do anything in terms of stocks, but you know the middleman is making all the money. The guy up there that's running that mutual fund is peeling off his share left and right. And so now the church is going, we need to find childhood obesity with our $200 a month. In reality, they're funding that cause 10 times over what they're trying to fight with, right? And so when you look at churches in hyper-urban areas, I'm talking people making less than $17,000 a year, no one can tithe 10%. Even if everybody tithed 10% of their $17,000, you'd never be able to support a church using a tithing model, using this existing model, because the money would always run out. And old money's running out. Big, 
big denominations are running out of capital because mm-hmm. the, the landscape is shifting. And so when you look at how to do a church plant in a, in a hyper-urban setting, you look around and you go, okay, well, what's, what's here? Normally it's, it, it's blighted housing. There's an abundance of blighted housing. There's an abundance of um, individuals who the community has deemed unhirable. You've got a felony conviction. You're drug addicted. Um, you don't have any tangible skills. So the community can't hire you, right? So those are a bunch of people. And then you've got all these predatory things, right? You've got the, the, the buy here, pay here car thing, right? You have the buy here, pay here furniture thing, right? You have the uh, please check cash here, right? And then you've got the temp agencies, which hire a guy for $8 an hour, and then they go sell the guy off for 15 bucks an hour. And then this guy takes his check for his whopping $65 that he got that day because they charged him for his boots and the travel there. And he takes that $65 check, and then he goes to the check cash in place because he can't get a bank account. Why? He's got a felony. Or, or maybe somebody ruined his credit. He, he doesn't know how to play that game because why? He's been in prison. He's been in that uh, system. He doesn't even know how to play the system. But then he's got to go cash his check, and guess what happens? They charge him $10 to cash a $65 check. So now wow. he's going home with $55 mm-hmm. Paying 22% usury fee on top of being used for the temp agency, on top of being used by the bank that won't let him shop there, right? And so, for us, looking at this from a top town view, it's like, you know, the church and 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 the gospel, the good news, has something to say about all of these things, right? And so, what we did was we uh, re-looked at tithing, and said, what if tithing actually went to Answering the cries of lament. What if the what if the tithe actually went directly into all of these places? Didn't go through a funnel. Didn't go through a system. What if it actually invested? And so what we did was we created a community equity fund. And so mm-hmm. when somebody ties in my congregation, if somebody gives us money, right? It doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to a budget. It goes to a fund, right? And this fund goes and buys a house. And in Cincinnati, I can get a house for a dollar. I can get a house for a thousand dollars. A lot of these Rust Belt areas, you can get dilapidated homes in the city for free. Because wow. cities, cities are spending $189,000 to fix up a house that they're selling for 90. Okay, <laughs> that's a negative 90 on every single transaction. That's that's the current market, and they're and they're being floated by HUD funds, and then and it's great. I'm glad the federal government's involved in housing, but right now there's a negative equity on every single transaction. So money's being actually dissipated in the community. So what we do is we take a house and we get it, you know, for a nominal cost. And then what we do is we take money from that community equity fund and we invest it in that house. And what we do is we hire people in the community that um, the community is deemed unhirable. So we partner with other organizations to get uh, convicted felons and people coming out of drug addictions. And so we turn the house into a job training lab. Nobody in our program makes less than $10 an hour, bare bones. Um, and we want to have somebody making $12 an hour by about 45 days. But what goes in the house is different. There's a lot of housing uh, programs. They're really great housing programs, but they're about quantity. We're about quality. And so what Uh we have is six species inlaid hardwood flooring. I'm talking about cherry, mahogany, hickory. Those are going in these houses, and we're training people how to lay those floors. That's a $25 an hour job. We have tile Mm -hmm. and stonework going into these houses. That's another $20, $25 an hour job. We do finished carpentry. That's another $20, $25 an hour job. We teach electrical, plumbing, HVAC, roofing. We are a full-service general contractor teaching all of these skills, hiring these individuals. And then that house gets sold to a member of the community that's already living in that neighborhood. And that's important because other housing organizations drag people from one neighborhood and drop them into another. And our Mm -hmm. goal is to actually hire 
people from the neighborhood and actually move people from renting into home ownership from that neighborhood. And so we sell it to them at 0% interest. We already know they're invested in that neighborhood. We want to keep them in the neighborhood because we want to be able to have strong roots in that community. And so when somebody makes a $500 a month payment on their house, so let's say we sell it, we put 35000 into the house, and for the sake of easy numbers, we sell it for seventy. Um, we then take a $500 a month payment. $250 goes back into the community equity fund. So we put 35 in it, 35 is going back. So 50% of it, 250 goes back in the community equity fund. The other 250 goes into operations fund, and that's how I get paid. I'm the last guy that gets paid in the system because the money that was given to the church to go out and do the good news, that, that has to happen first. So that money actually goes out into the community, into the local community first, and then it comes back. So when Aunt Susie in our model, and we've had some generous givers um, write us some very significant checks to, because they, they're like, I want to see something. I want to touch something. Somebody yeah. gave us a, a substantial check. That money went into a community equity fund, and that immediately went to a house, immediately hired people, and I immediately capitalized that $60,000 and turned it into $120,000 of equity. Now, it gets wow. paid off over 12 years. And so it's a system of patience. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is a system of longevity that implants and embeds itself into the community. And so part of that system also means that when one of my guys needs a car, guess what I do? I give them a loan. And I give them a loan at 0% interest, and we help them find a car because I've got other people that work for me that, hey, he's an ASC-certified tech. Let him go check the car. So now we're using yeah. time banking, <laughs> right? Now I've got a guy who's time banking. And so one of our goals is to actually open up a, um, a clothing store, a thrift store. But you can use American capital. That's fine. You can use cash. But what if you don't have money? Well, we think we have something of value. But we also think that other people in the community have something of value. We all believe in, in our congregation that everyone has gifts and talents that are being underutilized. So if you're an artist, why don't you come and paint? And we will trade your time for your opportunity to, to shop in our store. We have community gardens where we're growing hydroponically and aquaponically uh, fish and vegetables in our basement. In the, in the properties that we own. So come volunteer on our farm. And so we can trade and time bank the time that you're spending, your valuable time that is a commodity, we will trade that for goods and services. And so we're actually bringing back the old barter system because we have to acknowledge that the community already has all the gifts and talents to solve all of its plights. The fact that, you know, we, quote, unquote, need the government or need it. And, and, and I don't believe that. I believe that, that God has given people all the gifts and talents to do everything that they need to. They just don't feel empowered enough to do it. And, yeah. and I think that's where the good news really comes into play of just letting people know that they have amazing gifts and talents that are just being underutilized and undertapped. Wow. Wow. So Reverend, Reverend Hargis, you, you, you put God, okay, Jesus went into the <laughs> temple with a whip, okay, and he overturned the table. <laughs> I got nailed, too. So, so you, you're not there. You don't hold a whip in the other hand, right? No, no, I don't. I have a hammer. I got a, I got a tool belt and a hammer. So, I, you know, honestly, when, when somebody says, I don't have time to meet with you, I say, that's okay. Get a tool belt on to come out to the job site with me. We'll lay some tile and talk. You know, so um, I'm, 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 I'm a practical theologian. I, I love writing. I, I, love, I love preaching. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we, have a, we have an expression that we do church Monday through Saturday. And we take Sabbath and rest on Sunday. Um, and we really believe that. We really believe that walking the streets and getting out, I wear a collar. Um, I, I, I noticed you guys put my picture on. Because I believe sure. that the church should be active and visible. And, and, and we sure. have to be able to operate in a, in, a, in a space of sustainability. I don't touch a building unless I can make yeah. it sustainable. 
I don't invest in a business model um, unless it's sustainable. Uh, the, the idea of throwing money into a black pit, hoping against hope that somehow this is somehow going to turn some ethereal profit in some extraterrestrial way, um, you know, I, I don't think that feeds hungry people, um, and, and I don't think it, it, it gives opportunities for individuals to, to make, um, you know, a barter or, or a business out of their, their amazing gifts and talents of, of cooking and, and automotive skills and, and you know, just, just a plethora of opportunities for individuals. And they don't have access to capital, and that's kind of the other bigger conversation. Now, now, now Reverend Hargis, uh, just qu- questioning, maybe, Mark, you can chime in. Is this done through uh, – an LLC, a C corp, or is this a nonprofit? Uh, well, what is the what is this, the entity uh, consist of? From um, a fund so, standpoint, yeah, yeah. From a fund standpoint, we are a limited liability corporation that operates as a nonprofit um, in the state of Ohio. Um, and so, what that enables me to do is to be both a church. I am not a parachurch organization. I want to make that really clear. We are a yeah. church. Um, and a lot of times, so there, there's other housing organizations that are Christian inspired, right? We're a congregation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, at the heart of that, um, this is the church actually doing so. We don't operate okay. as yeah. an LLC over here and a church over there. We're, we're actually a functioning church. So, you know, as, in terms of the property holdings, it is is an LLC that is a nonprofit. Okay. Owned by the United Methodist Church. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, have you considered uh, taking the non-for-profit uh, out of the equation and just having a uh, uh, a regular bank account or a regular C-Corp or a regular uh, LLC? Uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of the, the restrictions on, on you know, from from a tax accounting standpoint, the, the uh, there's just a lot, lot more restrictions on non-profit. Well, it, it, it depends on what you mean by, you know, restrictions on the nonprofit. I mean, technically, I don't pay tax. Yeah. I don't pay tax. That means I'm 8% ahead. Before I even start, yeah. I'm 8% ahead, right, or 7 yeah. depending on where you're at. So that's one. Okay. Two, um, my goal is not to make a profit. And I don't like referring to what we are as a nonprofit because a nonprofit yeah. is what you're not, right? Yeah. And the yeah. reality is I, I do make a profit. I do make a profit. I make a profit, yeah. but I make a social profit. I make profits in, in many different avenues. We're doing job training. We're doing social equity. We're doing economic equity. We are doing yeah. community revitalization, right? We're, we're doing, we're, we're doing a food scarcity solutions. So, you know, in that sense, uh, the, the only limitation at the end of the calendar year is that my money better sure as heck go to the things that I say it does. And yeah. I think in that sense, I have a huge advantage in the nonprofit. Now, do I have, you know, some other financing limitations by being a nonprofit? Yes, but I don't want to play that game anyway, so so what? You know, I want yeah. people to be investing in what we're doing and understand what we're doing. And, and so far we've had people, um, Jesus has put people at our doorstep going, you know, I, I, I believe in what you do and I'm tired of watching my money disappear. Because when you invest in our model, the community equity fund, if you put a dollar into our fund, that dollar gets invested into a house and that hires somebody, and that dollar comes back to the community equity fund to be re- reinvested again. It's a sustainability issue. Because that's really the name of the game. How can you be sustainable in a community that economically has no sustainability? And so, you know, people are like, I'm tired of giving $10,000 a year. You give me ten grand, i am probably never going to ask you for it again because your ten grand is going to keep moving in a circle. It's going to continue to invest in that same community. Yeah. And we're debt-free. I want to be really clear about that. We take no loans out on anything. So we are 100% asset. Wow. Wow. Yeah, very exciting. 
Hey, Al, are you still on, Al Jordan? I'm, st- I'm here. I'm okay. still here. Al, yeah, why don't you work your magic and spin this? Uh, I, I don't <laughs> want to get off track here, but Al's got this uh, digital Bitcoin, this, that, and the other uh, spin on, on a lot of this stuff that may not be exactly practical for what Reverend Hargis is doing, but I was just curious how Mark can chime in with what, what your vision is, Al. What I've been talking to Mark about is not so much the, the, the digital currency side of things. I was talking about creating some insurance companies uh, using his not-for-profit model and that okay. we, would drive, we would drive income into the, into the community by having a uh, very much lower-cost uh, way of operating the, uh, the business of, of what, what's going on with repatriation of the housing. And so um, that was the, the focus of the conversation we've had so far. I've only had one, one uh, conversation so far uh, w- with Tom, and, um, and we've spoke, mostly spoken about how to, to raise the capital for the entire community around the, uh, the, the Jubilee project, whereby we have the lowest cost of homeowners policies, the lowest cost of homeowners uh, auto policies. We were driving hundreds of millions of dollars into the community to help rebuild the community from the inside out. What, what, what uh, is going on in general, though, is that there's a conversation going on between myself and Mark where we came out of a situation where we were looking at how do we uh, raise the income for people using a digital currency. And while that, did, that, while that project didn't go so well so far, um, we decided that we were going to focus more on what's going inside the Jubilee Project uh, in Cincinnati and, and places like that, whereby assume for a moment that uh, we're paying $15 an hour to every single person who's a worker inside the community, we would augment that with $15 of a digital currency. We'll call it Jubilee Cincinnati for as, an, as an example. And so, therefore, at some point, the people in the community will begin to understand they can trust this alternative currency and it will begin to create new value. So, therefore, instead of making $15 an hour, maybe they're making 20 in purchasing power a year from now. Maybe they're making 30 purchasing power uh, uh, two years from now, and instead of having the uh, employer being the, the actual community itself paying for it, we're creating value by the fact that the community itself is growing its value, and we're giving purchasing power and, and currency to people living in the community who then will start spending it inside the community and outside the community. But what it would do is in keeping with keeping uh, resources inside the community, it wouldn't allow the likes of the Walmarts and the Kmarts and whoever else would come to the community to take currency out it would allow the people there to retain the resources that they've, they've earned and that they're trying to apply so, you know, on the community itself so that um, the community grows as opposed to being the profit center for some other organization. They become their own profit center with their own currency, which we can also utilize exactly the same model in any other community, any other jewelry project like it, any place in the country, any place in the world, including, you know, outside the United States. Uh, we're looking at Belize as another place as a possibility. We're not exactly sure how it's all going to work because right now it's a social experiment. And we're yeah. in the throes of, of putting it together right now. Um, both Mark and I are examining the various ways to do this. Um, one way we could do it was using a currency called Bitcoin, another currency called Ethereum, which is a contract-based uh, digital currency. We are in the throes of talking about how it actually is going to be applied. Frankly speaking, I don't think any of us know in this group yet exactly how we're going to integrate it into the community just yet. We haven't really talked about it. 
I'm new to the to the Jubilee project. Yeah. I'm not new to the Bitcoin side of things. I'm not new to the Ethereum side of things. But everything is a social experiment point in time. Just yeah. let me just say, what we're trying to do is build confidence. What is what is money anyway? It's trust. If mm-hmm. if the if the Jubilee project in Cincinnati has trust inside the community and the community outside of the Jubilee project begin to have trust, then the currency itself begins to grow value. And what's the cost of the Jubilee community? Zero. Nothing. You're building, you're building the currency out of thin air. That's exactly what we're doing. Al, Al, Reverend yeah. Marcus used the, used the term time banking in conjunction with uh, barter, uh, the concept of, of, of a barter, barter networks in conjunction with time banking, uh, which, which kind of just is, look, I've got this skill, I've got some time, I'm willing as a member of the community to devote my skill and my time in exchange for uh, whatever. And whatever right. that is, in a borrowing right. standpoint. So that's kind of what, what from a practical that's standpoint. We can, we, can, we, can, yeah. we can actually measure it in two ways. We can use the blockchain, which I've spoken about before, to measure both the use of currency and national currency, which can be, you know, um, in a contract from every single person who's actually working in the community. And we can also use whatever, we'll call it jubilee currency for, for arguments of, you know, some other, some other way of describing it as another way of measuring it. So inside the community, when you're using the Jubilee currency to buy your vegetables, to take care of the cost of painting your house, or doing gardening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we can measure in both ways. Yeah. Um, but we, we, at this point, it's a, it's not a matter of having a physical yeah. relationship. It's a matter of trust in the currency. Do we trust? Do we trust using dollars? Well, well, from what from what uh, uh, Reverend Hargis has said, we can't, because every time we use it, we get ripped off as, as a community. But you can't get ripped off with the with the, the jubilee the jubilee currency coming from a Bitcoin or an Ethereum source. The sure. reason being is the currency belongs to the people in the in the community itself. There's no there is no uh, interest charge or there is no somebody who is who is stealing uh, uh, the various uh, uh, currencies that we earn. It's simply there and growing in value as we begin as we begin to trust in the process of what the jubilee scenario is all about. And it's going to be different in every single community. I know it sounds very, uh, uh, you know, somewhat uh, ethereal if we want to call it that. But the fact of the matter is, all currencies take trust to have value. And if the, if the system inside the Jubilee system works, as I know that it will, the current, the additional currency being paid at no cost to the currency the community itself will continue will grow in value. And suddenly, you've got exactly the kind of circular community that, that Reverend Hargis has been talking about. And you're, you're not allowing a good portion of the money to be sucked out in the process of other outside outside uh, organizations, shareholders. But the shareholders actually be the other people inside the community itself, and people who are paying into it for the services that the community is producing. So instead of being okay. a net drain on itself, it's a net it's a net a net draw. That's it. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll, I'm just going to segue here, real real quick, to get Mark back into the equation. Mark. Uh, from an economic modeling standpoint, you witness what Reverend Hargis has, has done. Uh, there's a positive return. It's fully accounted. It's fully transparent, and it sounds like it works. People can see practical use and benefit with their investment in the community, in the model itself, putting people to work, yeah. making yeah. improvements, and everything else. So you can actually document these things, and it sounds like what's happening here is there is an immediate return on the positive side creating energy, creating hope, uh, creating light, and, and creating transparency for all parties. It, 
it's it's love of neighbor economics. It's what Millard Ford right. calls Jesus economics, right? Millard Ford started the Habitat for Humanity movement, which is another wonderful model similar to what Thomas uh, is doing. Um, yep. And I could talk about that for a minute, but I think what's so exciting about this is that as an economist, what we're talking about is, you know, and I've just gotten to know things about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I never trusted it uh, for years, but uh, Al has convinced me that it's something to be considered. And why? Because it was, if, if instead of the Bitcoin, which is just a, a cryptocurrency based on a maximum vo- you know, volume of 21 million Bitcoins, we could mm-hmm. actually think about creating uh, trust-free contracts between individuals based on the value of their skills as, as an asset. Remember, we said yeah. money is not tied. Current money is not tied to anything. Uh, there's yeah. no balance sheet. There's no asset account that backs the U.S. dollar. So imagine if we, just for fun, we could play it out in Excel. And I've got all the labor force for all of Cincinnati. I know how many waitresses are, what they make per hour, how many waitresses there are. And, but I don't know anything about their asset value. Like, what is their, as a person, maybe they're worth a million dollars as a, uh, you know, generating $20 an hour over the lifetime. But yeah. what's possible here is, you know, land and property, that's, that's one asset class. But then there's their skills, our aspirations. And, and that's what's so exciting about this initiative. So the, the, this idea of you know going even a step further than the Jubilee project that Thomas is running is create a Jubilee fund, and and the fund like Habitat has they call it the Fund for Humanity, right? Uh, you yeah. could call it the Fund for Wellbeing, the Genuine Wealth Fund, which is the model I've developed. Uh, and to me, it's so exciting to think that we could actually, with a little bit of investment from existing foundations, you know, some of these churches of you know. Christchurch Cathedral has $90 million in their endowment, right? Privately managed. And I asked them, I said, where's your money going? Well, we have a private trustee. Well, we know that. But how much of that money is staying local? Investing in the assets, the idle assets. You know, the poverty wage in Cincinnati is about five bucks an hour. Thomas is going to pay 10 bucks, it's double, right? That poverty wage. Uh, You know, there's 42, 42 out of every 100 households in Cincinnati is not making a living wage. Now, living wage is 9.27 an hour in Cincinnati. Yeah. That's shocking. Those are shockingly high numbers. And if we could lift people into that living wage spectrum, uh, pay them, you know, meaningful work, what Jubilee Project is doing, you know, you, what are you going to get? You're going to get well-being ROI. You're going to get dignity and hope. Uh, right, uh, and so when, one of the women we just talked to yesterday, uh, she's a woman who's been engaged in what Cincinnati calls the Walking School Bus Program. Uh, she's an African American woman, six kids. Uh, she, you know, she lives in poverty, but she was offered a chance to be a chaperone for poor kids to walk to school safely through gang-infested neighborhoods. Yeah. And you know what she said? You know what she said? She says. I now feel like I can actually own a home. What? Ten bucks an hour? You, you're dreaming now about owning a home. And I'm like, you need to meet Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas is going to get you the home for your six kids, and wow. you're going to have a home, and you're going to have hope, right? So that, that gets me all excited. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> uh, to, to Tom, uh, Thomas, can you... I know there's so many groups that are doing so many things all across the country, but this model that you have stumbled upon, and Mark's confirming this with his research, and I was all excited. Can this be duplicated 
from how big does this have to be, or does it, can it just start with one house? Can it be done anywhere? Well, and I mean, honestly, this is my doctoral thesis. I mean, it was brought, um, you know, I was I was in the process of uh, beginning it when the uh, the bishop of uh, West Ohio generously said, you know, look, why, why don't you do this fun thing, uh, you know, in Cincinnati, and so. You know, in that sense, uh, we ran a three-year pilot project um, inside of, uh, of of Durham, North Carolina, and I actually put uh, a quarter million bucks of my own money up front uh, because wow. getting investment. Uh, I mean, how do you invest in something that's never been done before? It's just it's it's very very risky, and um, so um, I wanted to put my money where my mouth was, right? So. Um, while I was in seminary, I can't remember, we ran these pilot projects, you know, I'd go get a house, you know, we'd, we'd have some successes and we'd figure out stuff, you know, and, and so I learned to, to play a, to, to play a little, uh, a little, a little game in a way with, uh, with, 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 um, some manufacturers who basically were throwing away really good, uh, products, right? And there were lots of middlemen making tons of money. So I just cut out the middlemen. And we started creating great relationships where I can get, you know, I can get hardwood floor that costs ten bucks at Lowe's for a buck twenty-two. You wouldn't believe the markup of wow. materials that are bought for these houses, right? And so, yeah. scalability then becomes a question: Can you replicate this? Can you scale? And the answer is yes, because there is a local manufacturer everywhere in this country um, that wants to see their product used. And there are manufacturers that are doing high volume all over this country that you can go and get direct access. I mean, the fact that we, you, you wouldn't believe the markup at, at big box stores. And, and, and I think that's where, again, we've been, we've been squeezed out as a local economy um, by, 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 by price leveling where, where these big companies have leveraged low, low acquisition prices. And then their markup because they advertise because you get all that inundation of you know we have the best thing right um, and that costs money all of that stuff costs money when you when you eliminate all that stuff you start eliminating the cost and that's really the the end total is what we're good at is lowering the cost of entry level into a business market and it's also you know you talk about raising the minimum wage and we could have a whole argument about that but the reality is somebody who's on a fixed income does not benefit when you raise minimum wage. You raise minimum wage, everybody in the community has to pay more for everything, except those people that are on fixed income. They just immediately lost buying power, immediately. And Mm -hmm. so I'm a big fan of lowering the cost of living. So when somebody's renting, for example, right, you're asking me how scalable is this? Does it work in every market? Well, every market has 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 a slumlord who doesn't insulate their house. And so the poor pay more for utilities than any other class, any other class. Because they're living yeah. in a house that's not insulated. They're living in a house that does not have energy efficiency. They're living in a house that does not utilize all of the square footage for even, you know, even if you want to go out on the limb of solar and, 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 and hydro and, 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 and geothermal, there's no options. You have no options. You have to live in whatever you're given. And so you're paying twice to three times as much for utilities because you don't benefit from all the things that the upper classes benefit from. So when you lower somebody's cost of living, you're actually raising their buying power. And so that can happen in any market, in any market in the United States. And there are homes in every city, in all parts of, of places that, 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 that the community has forgotten. They just basically say, that's, the, that's that side of town, right? And so 
those houses and those communities need the economic development more than anybody else. And so, yes, this is absolutely replicatable. And in some ways, Cincinnati is way easier than Durham ever was when we were doing this project because the entry level for a house in Durham was $40,000. That's the entry level point. In Cincinnati, yeah. my entry level point is a dollar. That's my entry point. Wow. So, you know, oh, there, there, there is no, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if you, if you can do it in a gentrified, hyper, you know, flipping market that Durham was, and you could also do it in a market where really, you know, we're in neighborhoods that, like, nobody wants to be. There's houses on eBay. There's houses on eBay in Detroit. You can get a house on eBay for $1,500. Now, you careful what you buy. It might yeah. be literally a dumpster fire. But, you know, I mean, the, the fact is the entry level is so low, but they're not – people aren't utilizing the synergy of the market. We don't do anything without collaborations. So I think this is an important aspect, and this is why I love uh, working with Mark and, 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 and working with people like Al who are, who are great at things that I'm not. We work with the local criminal justice system. We work with local nonprofits that are teaching soft skills to people that are getting out of the criminal justice system. We work with housing organizations that, that have people who are trying to get their way out of homelessness. And we provide them jobs and the job training so that they can stay out of homelessness. And when you create that pipeline and communication between organizations, well, guess what? All of our organizations just got twice as effective because we're not spinning our wheels running around. You know, I just got a text tonight. Hey, there's this guy. He just got out of prison, and this other place is kind of slowing down. He's running <laughs> off. Can you give this guy a job? I mean, boom. Yeah. I, I, I've got an unlimited labor force. I've got an unlimited supply of housing. I mean, you yeah. know. The the fact is the, the it's a question of willingness, and I'm gonna I mean I think that's the that's the if I gotta drive a stake in the ground, it's a question of willingness. Are we willing to go get dirty and get involved as a local community in local neighborhood revitalization, or are we gonna wait for somebody else to come in and figure out what they're gonna do, and then somebody's gonna make money off of that? There's a reason why Donald Trump has money. There's a reason why people who have money have money. It's because they can go in and leverage money and, and leverage local mm-hmm. communities out of them. Mm-hmm. So you've really yeah. just identified ways of, of using the barter network, using the relationships, finding where the true value is, and leveraging, hey, maybe it's the college you wear. But, but, <laughs> Fred, Fred, let me drive home the point that I think, Thomas, what's so important about this is we are offering, now this is going to sound funny, the poor are going to be happier than the middle class. Why? Because they're going to spend, they're going to be living an, a debt-free, interest-free life, not just with this house, but forever. That's my vision. So we're going to, we're going to end usury and the impact right. it has. Remember I said 35 cents on every dollar you spend. Yeah. Interest costs. Now, with the Jubilee house, uh, the average American now spends $10,000 a year on shelter. Okay? And they'll spend about 50000 uh, dollars a year. That's that's average uh, in terms of its spending. Now the Jubilee homeowner is going to spend about six thousand dollars a year, right, and be debt free in ten years. So what does that mean? In ten years, they have six thousand dollars of discretionary spending power. Well, that's about as much as Americans spend about thirty five hundred on food, right? So think Jesus, about that. this is amazing. This is this is really a real wealth model. I would say, so what happens? So, so the idea here is, like Habitat for Humanity does here in Edmonton, at least, let's say the house is, uh, is retained, actually isn't owned necessarily by the tenant, but is held by the fund, 
as an asset. Now the asset's appreciating inside the fund. So you know, if you if you paid your house off, how do you how do you leverage that asset value? Well, you go to the bank and say, "Well, I'll buy. I'll give you a line of credit at eight percent or seven yeah. percent." Yeah. Like, wait a minute, don't I have that right? It's my asset. And imagine if the Jubilee Fund says, "We'll give you a line of credit." Your kids want to go to college. You, yeah. You never. You, you, none of your grandparents ever went to college. We can give you an interest-free loan. Oh, you want to put solar panels in your house? You want to put aquaculture? You want to buy a Tesla yeah. three? You want to? Oh, you want to retire in comfort? How about an annuity on the appreciating value of the property that's held in the in the trust? I think about it, and it's all we're not doing anything fancy, revolution. We're not upsetting the money power. We're just working within a system, and and we've rejected usury. We said we don't have to charge interest. Banks don't actually ever have to charge interest. They're just a business. So, but but we've accepted that, and the acceptance of that means that we're sixty trillion dollars in debt and it can't be repaid. So we're stuck. Wow. Hey, uh, you know, this has been a, a, a great wrap for one hour and I don't want to belabor <laughs> it, but, but you know, and I'm sensing that we don't want to drag it out because uh, there are people on the line that I know are going to be, uh, they're going to want to make a comment or a question and we might as well keep this short and sweet. Is there anyone out there who would like to pose a comment or a question to either of our two guests, or Al, if you have a question, feel free. Yeah, star six your phones, everyone. Well, <laughs> I don't want to be the only one talking. <laughs> I think, Come on, you guys, get some questions here. <laughs> no, this is uh, this is real exciting stuff. Everyone, it's it's shocking. And, uh, no, this is this is practical boots on the ground, roll up your <laughs> sleeve, and and be useful, be happy, kind of stuff. Uh, this is I have to tell you, this, I have to tell you this little story. You know how I met Thomas? I was at this conference called Neighborhood Economics in Cincinnati, and uh, Tom Thomas said, "Do you want to go? Do you want to play hooky and see?" Wait, wait, you, you cut out, Mark. But I want to play hooky and what on the ground stuff. And, you know, he's so proud about his project. I'm like, I love you, Thomas. You're doing real stuff. Uh, and this is real economics. Wow. Gosh. You know, we, we need to get this story out to more people because, uh, uh, you know, at the end of this podcast, everyone, this will be archived. We can link it, share it, spread it around uh, in conjunction with the, the newsletter and the links that are in this uh, project or this, this show tonight. Plus, uh, Mark and, and Nielski, you have a website that we didn't get in last night, which we will include when we update our website, okay? Thank you, yeah. yeah all my, my book and stuff is on, on the uh, Nielski.com website. So, sounds good. Now, now uh, getting back to the, the Reverend Hargis, uh, you must be... Uh, I don't want to call you a bull in a china shop. You're <laughs> you're you're walking on water here. It seems like <laughs> how, how do the old school uh, uh, gentlemen of the Methodist Church? I mean, you must be really turning heads inside the the hierarchy of the Methodist Church. Well, originally the the idea, and, and I really have to get off my tail and finish the book. 
But the original idea was just to publish this and send it off to church planners, and maybe somebody would take it, pick it up, and go, "Wow, oh, that's interesting. I'll try that." Um, yeah. But um, you know, to, to to really be honest, you know, the, there there's a bishop, there's a cabinet, um, the, there's a um, a group of people um, in Cincinnati called the Mission Foundation that were generous enough to look at what I was doing and say, you know, we're going to take a percentage of our endowment. And we're going to give it to you and to invest. And we're going to come check in with you um, in, in, in like six months. Let me see what you did with it. And, um, wow. you know, they, they were just extremely pleased. They were wow. very excited because, you know, when, when I go, look, you know, my goal was to do six units of housing. Uh, guess what? I'm doing nine units of housing and I haven't spent all your money yet. Um, you know, the, the, the city of Cincinnati awarded us a $100,000 contract to revitalize a house. The next highest bidder was $130,000. The highest bidder on that house was $175,000, right? So I'm already, uh, you know, 75% cheaper, you know, than wow. the next guy up, right? You know, $75,000 <laughs> cheaper than that guy up, right? So, you know, and he's a really good contractor. He knows what he's doing, right? So the, 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 the traction that we're gaining, and, and I appreciate what I was talking about in terms of, uh, Trust, you know, quality is a huge, huge thing with me, and it's why we don't use volunteer labor. You can volunteer and come out with us, but you got to work with one of our paid staff. We use a work with model. Um, we work with the local community. We hire the local community. We have um, a neighborhood event at least once a month in every place where we own a house because we want to have a black party. We want to be um, working with the local community, and not just come in and say, "Oh, let me tell you how to do this." And, and um, you know, being in partnership with everybody, I think, fuels, um, you, you know, you, you, you kind of make that, you know, older folks maybe not really appreciate people People are looking for tangibility, and I think that's where the church is heading. The church is heading in a direction of tangibility. Where can you actually put your thumb onto something, and it's not a building that's opened up twice a week uh, for an hour on Sunday and maybe yeah. for an hour on Wednesday. I, I think mm-hmm. that model of, of Christianity rose and it's coming crashing down. I, I really, really believe that. And, you know, speaking back to economics, the whole reason why endowments and a lot of other financial vehicles were created is because, you know, honestly the church wasn't thought of as an economic injector. It just had capital, and people who were good at banking came to the church and said, let me do what I do best and let me play yeah. with capital. So I, I mm-hmm. think a lot of these things came in with the best of intentions, and I and I don't know if they're garnering the best of results in some of these hard hit communities that just are suffering uh, with more plights than just getting a four percent return on your endowment. Because I mean, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. I think our our ROI is somewhere in the sixteen percent range. Yeah. That what we calculated. Yeah. Well, we actually what we're targeting is a blended bond equity rate. Can we do it? Of course we can do it, and we can still get a well being ROI on it. So. If I might interject here, the reason that the, the, the cryptocurrencies work in these communities, it banks the unbanked, the, the currency itself is debt-free, and there's no leaks. It stays right where it is. So you are basically reinvesting right back into the community. And for those things that you need U.S. dollars for, well, you use them, but you may have less and less and less reliance upon having to worry about the local bank who wants to come in and charge fees and block people from working uh, their, own, their own bank accounts and those kinds of things. So basically, you're actually building a, a, a larger and larger and larger place where people can actually use the resources that, they, that they've earned and not be paying it in fees to somebody 
who doesn't know anything about them, doesn't care about them. No shareholders either, except for those people living in the community. I think that is the thing that will turn that will go on and create wildfire across the country and around the world. That's why the central banks are so frightened of it, because they can't control it. It's controlled by the people. It gives you autonomy, complete autonomy. Um, but it's, it's going to take some time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some you know, number of years for it to actually happen. And with that, I'll just look silent again. Al, Mark, uh, why don't we end up, uh, if you could just put a, uh, a book into this, Mark and, and, and Reverend Thomas, uh, the term jubilee, can you bring to the fore the importance of that of that term from a scriptural standpoint and a practical standpoint? Because we're really addressing, you know, this need for a global jubilee. It's I, not just in Cincinnati. This is a global phenomenon that has to be understood, has to be realized, and has to be celebrated. So I'm going to, I'm going to open, Thomas, sorry, but I've been fascinated with the number seven. Okay. Okay. Why did the, why did the Jews say that on the seventh day God rested every so we, we, we rest, we celebrate, we thank God. Every seven years we forget the death. And every seven times seven years we redistribute the wealth of the original twelve tribes. Why seven? Now this wow. is fascinating. This is fascinating. So guess how many years it takes has been taking to double the US debt? Seven years. Seven. Uh, if you've studied the notion of Shemitah, you probably have that on your show, haven't you? You have done uh, we, 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 the Shemitah. Yeah, this guy has been doing these videos for the last two years. He's, he's gotten a lot of attention. So, we haven't had him so, on. But, so, uh, if you're a historian, when when was the Balfour Declaration signed that led to the State of Israel's establishment? 1947. No, yeah. before that. That was, oh, that was the state of Israel. Oh, the, 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 was that the Balfour Declaration? Was that was Israeli? Is that who you're talking about? Israeli? Is that who you're talking yeah. about now? 1907? Mm-hmm. So, guess where we're at? 2016, we're into the sec- third jubilee year without debt forgiveness, debt redistribution. We're in our third now jubilee period. Two forty-nine year periods we've blown through, and I just told you that the debt is being doubling around every seven years, except for the '80s when we had high interest rates. That is mind blowing. So if we actually had rebooted the system every seven years, we wouldn't be in the pickle. Now, it's not just the United States; everybody's in the same boat. There's no way to to reboot the okay. system. Uh, now, Mark. Mark. Every seven years, we were to forgive debts. Was that in, in, in ancient scripture, right? In Deuteronomy. Well, Thomas can, you know, he can affirm that. Well, the, the, every, the every seven years comes from um, an ancient Near East practice as well. I mean, the, the Babylonian kings would look around, um, not unlike our own times, and they would sense the gap between the very wealthy and the not-so-wealthy, right? And, you know, what this really comes down to, for me theologically, is a combat against generational poverty mm-hmm. and generational uh, wealth, right? So, you know, I'm all for earning. I'm all for people utilizing their gifts and talents. But let's say, you know, I have a farm, you know, and my farm got all the rain, and your farm mm-hmm. got all the locusts. Well, guess what? Yeah. I just got all the wealth, right? And, you know, right. tough luck for you. Try to get next year, right? 
but now I've got wealth, which means I can leverage my wealth to go buy your farm out, right? Mm-hmm. Because you don't have money, but guess what? You need to get something, so you're going you're gonna to sell some eel land to me. And guess what? Oh, it rained again on my farm, and I've got all the wealth. And then you had locusts again. Tough luck. Yeah, right? So then I got the rest of your farm. So what happens is when I die, guess where my money and my wealth are going to go? To my kids. Did my kids earn mm-hmm. that money? No. My kids didn't do anything. And then their kids then leverage that same money. Well, the guy who's caught in generational poverty, guess what? He just inherited generational poverty. And so you get generational wealth that gets handed down, and the system never equalizes. It only creates a bigger divide. And mm-hmm. so the whole principle behind all of this was that, look, um, bad things happen. We can, we, can, we can put in whatever adverb we want, you know, adjective or adverb, right? But, but bad things happen. And the idea of generational hand-me-down um, was, was never the option. It was about freedom. And, and that's really where Jubilee comes from. The good news, um, as a Christian, of Jesus' resurrection, of, of creating uh, an environment of, of, of wellness and an environment of, of, of resurrectional freedom, that my life is better. That's what resurrection means. My life is better now than it was before because I've died. That old life is dead. It was okay. It was a bad life. But the resurrected life is a better life. It's more fulfilling, and it's more communal. And, and the, the idea of jubilee means that I live in the context of my community. But I'm also free. I'm free from a lot of the other bondages that we have. And, and let's, let's just throw a few of these biggies out. Student debt. Huge problem. Oh, yeah. we're, paying, oh my God. we're paying to go to school to do what? Are you kidding me? The job that you don't need a good degree for. Yeah. So, you know, the, the oh idea, you know, we, we, you know and, but, but here's the mantra. Everybody's got to go to college. No, no. No, no. Please, no. please stop. Like my, my plumbers make more than, than, than some of my, my college graduate friends, you know? So, you know, you, you can go make a great living. And guess what? You're not working 80 hours a week. When you're done plumbing, you go home. That's jubilee. Yeah. You know, That's when you cute. work, you know, we have a 40-hour work week. We don't do overtime. When you're done, you go home. You go rest. You go enjoy having some, 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 some income that you can spend. You, you have jubilee in the fact that your food is not GMO'd and, and run by, by who knows what's thrown into your pesto chemicals that are thrown all over your salad, so, right? That it's yeah, organically yeah. grown in but, your front yard. This idea of jubilee is is an all-encompassing idea of a better life. And and that, as a Christian, is the central point of Christ's message in, in, the, in the sense of freedom from all of the bondages of sin and of, of the powers and principalities of, of really living into the best part of, of what Mark writes about, which is really the economics of happiness, of really living as what the kingdom of God is really asking us yeah. to live into. So, so, Fred, let me paint you a picture. I'm, I can say this because I'm a Canadian. So if I was running for president right now, it's remarkable, yeah. right? No conversation about these subjects. No notion no. about the history of the United States, what, we actually, what you guys fought for for the revolution, what Ben Franklin yeah. and Jefferson were talking about when they wrote the Declaration. Not, it's like this amnesia. And I, I, I have to come to the U.S. and remind Americans of the history. Now, here's my vision. If I was running for president, I would say, I'm running on a platform to reduce your work week to 25 hours. What? What are you talking about? Well, look, I could print out, I can actually have the Federal Reserve, it was actually not privately owned, uh, issue that much debt money, wipe out the private bank debts, and eliminate the burden of usury. Forever. You could do it tomorrow. But we don't do it. If, if they issue directly from the Treasury, U.S. Treasury, no interest free, right? <laughs> 
That's right. Well, 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 that's what, what do you think Ben Franklin understood when he went to London for three years? That's what he studied. He came back and goes, oh, I get it. Yeah. Well, let me interject oh, one, one comment here. Can I interject <laughs> one comment here? I, sure. I supported a man by the name of David Trone. He's a he's running against Chris Van Hollen's old seat, the guy that put the uh, health care plan together in the United States along with uh, Nancy Pelosi. Anyway, um, Mr. Trone had a plan, and he lost, by the way, of um, four years of college for anybody or any, any education at all uh, being funded uh, by yourself being taken care of by the federal government if you will put five years of community service together along with your regular job if you graduate college, as one example. Now, you might say, well, gee, that's just a gimmick. He has spent $10 million of his own money over a 90-day period running against the incumbents, and he lost slightly. Well, I'm not sure whether he actually lost or not, but he did lose the election, so we think. Now, <laughs> now you, you, wonder, you wonder about what, what kind of what kind of an attitude people would have you know, as to why they would turn this guy out. On top of which, and a lot of us on this phone call will, remember, will know this name. You ever hear of the company called Total Wine? Anybody at all? The, the wine stores at all? I love the I store. Oh, yeah, I, I love them. Okay. They're, they're, they're in the South. Love them. Love the store. He owns, yeah. he owns them all. Every <laughs> single one of them. All of them. Okay. And he, he does about $2.5 billion a year in uh, sales. He pays for all of his, his employees' education, pays them $25 an hour, he pays them full benefits, and he never asks the question on his application for employment, do you have a record? Are you involved? Have you been on, involved in any criminality? He hires people without it, without that necessity. necessity. It was one of, the, it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. I don't generally support Democrats. I never vote for a Democrat, but this time. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I couldn't even vote in the primary for him. I'm an independent, and he's not in my, he's not in my district. I live in a town called Potomac. It's split up between another guy um, uh, and, and, and where, where, where uh, David Trone uh, is running, and, and we're in the same town. But the thing of it is that he got close to winning this piece. But the in the inbred people that are actually running for the for the post won the, the election for the Democrats. But they can't possibly do what this guy is doing because of what he's doing now. I mean, he's showing by example what he can do. Does he live well? Yes. Does he pay his people well very, very well, which makes him one of the most successful businesses in the United States, even though it's only two and a half billion dollars, he's growing eighteen percent per year. That's an enormous number when you can think about it. You know, and I've got a guy who doesn't have his T-shirts as well. They're all cotton. They're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and, but we, 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 stood, we stood in the hall two nights ago, and he was ahead for a while, and suddenly he was behind. And we all knew what it meant, that it was, it was over already. But the fact of the matter was, there was only 5% of the vote left, and he went down by three points and he was up by five. That seemed interesting. But the point of the matter is, <laughs> is America ready to actually embrace the principles we're talking about right now? I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And I live in, in a, I mean, I live in the same state, in, same town, in five different states: Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, you know, Maryland, and, and and part of the time in California. All the same community. Are we ready for these kinds of things that we're talking about now? I don't know that we are, as a nation, are we? But I think the Jubilee Project may well be. You know, it, you know it, sounds, it sounds like all of these things from your experience. Uh, I mean, we've got all of these outliers from extreme Donald Trump to extreme Bernie Sanders, to 
Mm-hmm. The days when we supported Ron Paul, I mean, there's, there's these outliers that are circling the wagon, so to speak, around an, a dying, decrepit, fraudulent model. And, right. and, and and I think this concept of Jubilee is fantastic. rises above everything. It's fantastic. It has to. It's fantastic. It, it is fantastic. To. No choice. If, if there's we don't no other, do there's no, there's no other. There's no other next step but to go higher. And in a peaceful, positive, prayerful way. I mean, this this yeah. this whole thing, and and I I I can just imagine going through the books and the records, and your your feet are on the ground. You're you're doing things. You're building things. You're being useful. I mean, all these things are yeah, they're easy to sell. They're easy to see. They're easy to celebrate. So, uh, well, I, I, it's not it's not hocus pocus or anything. Uh, I'm a real I'm a real simple test. I'm a real simple test. When I go when I go out when I, was, when I was out today in Bethesda, for example, I look to see how many smiling faces that I see, and when I see none, I know we're out, they're not on the on the right track. And, and I, mm-hmm. I do it every single day that I'm out. Do I see any smiling faces? I don't see them anymore, but I do hear people saying they're very upset everywhere. Now, now, uh, Reverend, do you, Alan, do you, do you, I, <laughs> we laugh do you a lot. Keep, yeah, well, you and I laugh a lot because we're crazy, <laughs> but. <laughs> but <laughs> But, but but remember, do you see people smile in your community when you're talking about Jubilee? Well, it's it, it's hard it's hard not to be excited when somebody <laughs> says, "Look, I'm not going to pay you minimum wage. I'm going to pay you a fair wage." And then, <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm going to help you get your driver's license, and you know, I want you to get a better job than what we're paying you. So, um, you know, I, right. I mentioned this early, but we alcohol test on the job site every day. We use a GPS login tracking software system. Every house we have has its own blog, so we can actually show that our guys do amazing work. And so they can get hired and they can even start their own business. I mean, in some ways, we're we're like, we want you to go out and and get a better job somewhere else or start your own business. And they're like, no, we like working here. This is cool. (laughs) Like, you know, you don't cuss in the job site. You actually treat us like people. Like, why would we want to go anywhere else? So you you get get to a point where where people's wellness index is so high. It's like, why why do I want to go anywhere else? And, you know, I mean, and not to say that all of our guys, don't struggle. I mean, we 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 have people that 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 struggle with lifelong diseases, right? You know, they struggle with drug and alcoholism, and so you know they they are. Gem- I, I've never seen this. I used to be a, a prison warden, and I've never seen the level of empathy where you know we we, we kind of go, hey, you know, you need to go have a drug test. They literally check themselves in the rehab. I don't have to force them. Sure. I don't have to call their probation officer. They're like. I, oh God! I screwed this up, and I don't want to screw this up. I'm really happy. I'm gonna to go to rehab. Drive me to rehab. Drive me to rehab. How many addicts do you know that go up to you and go, "Please drive me to rehab"? You know, and so, you know, and they want to be, they want to be back part of the community. And so I, you know, I literally talked to one of my guys today. He's like, "Look, I promise you, next Monday I will, I will, I will, I will pee in a cup, and I will pee in a cup clean because I want to be here. I want to be here, and I want to be a part of this." So I mean, like, I, I mean. You know, I don't know what your definition of miracles are, but I've, I've never heard of an addict go, please drive me to rehab, right? So, you know, if, if we're generating that level of jubilee, to me that's the good news. That's, that's, right. that's the concept of resurrection in people's lives that, you know, we, we, we talk about, and this is a whole other theological conversation, but our society really buries these diseases. I mean, we'll do fundraisers for cancer. We'll do fundraisers for leukemia and all these other you know, or heart disease, and, and those things are great to do fundraisers for, but we don't do fundraisers for mental health. We don't do fundraisers for substance abuse. That is yeah. like, you know, meeting at 8 o'clock at night in a dark room way in the back, and, oh, my God, let's call it Alcoholics Anonymous. And I get the idea mm-hmm. behind Alcoholics Anonymous, but dadgummit, there are too many people and too many families that suffer the disease and the fallout 
from alcoholism, yeah. that this really has to be more of a public, you know, mm-hmm. uh, conversation and interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the other side of what we do. We live in community with one another. And I think, you know, to, to, to Mark's well-being index, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, I can't say enough about his book because it, it looks at all facets of what the definition of a successful community is. And, that, and, and that's really where the Jubilee Project and, and Mark's vision really align together. That it's not about just the house. I could sell you the house thing all day long, but it's not about the house. It's about the people. It's about mm-hmm. the neighborhood. It's That's about right. the well-being all the way around. Not and you know what? If the country never votes for it, that's irrelevant. The church should be doing it. The church should be doing it whether or not anybody votes for it. Because you know what? Jesus doesn't need your vote. Jesus doesn't need your money either, by the way. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your vote. The community needs your resources. And when a community starts realizing what kind of power it really has, then it'll start voting in a different way. And, and, and that's, I think, where the tangibility turns into political power, which turns into the, to the politic, which is the gathering of people for change. We we saw this with David Trump. We saw that people were changing. He can't. No one knew David David Trump's name ninety days ago. No one. In in, in his in his district, he came with the three points of winning, and that's even after the fraud. You know, he could have won. He could have won it. Would he change? Would he change down the road because he became part of the government? Who knows? He doesn't need the money. Certainly, doesn't need the aggravation. He fired all. He fired all of his family from from running his business anymore. Didn't want them interfering and hired managers. And then stepped out and spent ten million dollars on of his own money. He didn't take one single cent from anyone to run this 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 uh, this uh, particular campaign. It's amazing. Absolutely well, I'm gonna amazing. I'm gonna get you I'm gonna get you on air right now. I, I want I want a meeting with him. I'll fly up and meet with him. I want I want him a part of what you we're want doing. To? I love no, what he's you want doing. To? Yes. yes, make the connection. Go, Come on, you baby. tell me you tell me I'll what plane I need I'll to go. be on and what restaurant I need to be at. I'll buy him dinner. I want to be on honest. Awesome. Well, we'll go to his office. I'll, I'll go to his wife's tomorrow. In fact, I can go to his house tomorrow morning. I'll go, I'll go, go. to his wife's. He and Jim will talk to him. We'll open a total wine store in Sedanville. Yeah, hey, don't, be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you by, wish by the, for. By the way, I'm wishing out loud. David, David doesn't drink anything. He drinks water. He does not consume any alcohol at all. None. Wow. Zero. Wow. But, you know. Okay. But, but, hey, yeah, guys, guys, we're going to wrap this up, but I have to make the final offer. Anybody else, a comment or a question for any one of our guests, Mark Anielski, uh, Reverend Thomas Hargis, a lot has been shared on the call. Al, thank you for uh, for making this happen behind the scenes this week. As everyone knows, I, I don't come drag this stuff out, but occasionally I share uh, my, my hobby of numbers. <laughs> With people, but uh, t- t- today is the 446th uh, call that, we- that we've done since the beginning nine years ago. So 446 yeah. divides by 223 <laughs> times two. 223, oh, no. Mark. No, no, no. It's just the oh, same. Tw- are you kidding me? 223? I, oh, no. No, 223 is the 49th prime number, Mark. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, listen. Uh, hey, hey, Fred. Reverend, yeah. Uh, Jim, their contact, their contact information is on the website. Contact information is on the website. We're going to add Mark Kanielski's, uh website, which is not on there. His book, uh, The Economics of Happiness, the link to Amazon is there, but we're going to add his, his website. I'm going to ask Steve to add his website uh, right after I get off the call here. 
And these gentlemen are available for um, for other shows. I, I hope we can stay in touch. Definitely, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, following this project and learning more about this, this is this is something that's not just a one shot deal. This is this, is a, this seems to be a uh, we need to spread and evangelize something like this. Uh, this is yeah. really exciting stuff. Well, thanks you guys for having us. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity, guys. Mark, thank you so much. Uh, Al, thank you for making this happen. Reverend Hargis, thank you so much. I, I know you're out in uh, West Texas, uh, and you, you're, you took time off to come on the call tonight. But, uh, Al, thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll see you on the call next week. This will be archived, available to link to share with others uh, as we go along. We hope we can all stay in touch uh, with you guys, okay? Will do. Thanks again, everyone. Okay. That's a wrap. Blessing. We'll see you next week. Blessing. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for coming on. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, buddy. See you guys next week. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless you all. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.